Good morning. Happy Sabbath. So I'm going to move this just for one second. Did you guys see what was happening back here? The little altar? We can't have a real altar in here, right? Because big boulders and um, setting a fire wouldn't do. But if you look, there's a tiny little altar back here on each one of the stones is what? It's a name. And the idea behind it was the altar was representative of the kids building an altar to Jesus. Before we start the, um, the sermon for today, I do want to say thank you for inviting me to speak. And Brenda is such an amazing leader, right? She's thanked everybody for the work that they do. And she remained really quiet, but really and truly, um, when we're tired, Brenda continues to push us so we have the best club possible. She is an amazing leader. Um, I would also say um, we also have our Pathfinder director with us, uh, Ms. Maribel Champion. She's amazing as well. And I, I'm fortunate, I think Leanne and I are probably unique in the sense we get to work under two different leaders with two different styles of leadership, both great leaders, and we are blessed to have the leadership that we have on board. So I'm going to pray quietly, and then we're going to go into the talk for today. Father in heaven, you've seen the commitment that we've made today to our children. As I begin the, the sermon for today, Lord, and I continue to impress upon the commitment and increasing the commitment to the kids of the church, our kids of the church, we ask, Lord, that each one of us search and find a way that we can dig deeper because we are in perilous times. In Jesus' name, amen. So, some of you guys may know, um, this uniform, I've had it since probably 1993. Um, I grew up in Pathfinders. And to the extent that I grew up in Pathfinders, I did drum corp, drill team, you know, went all the way up to guide. I didn't finish master guide. But at my wedding, the drum corp played for us to march out. I'm that serious about um, that. Uh, Pathfinders. Um, I wish they had the green pants from back in the day. There was an old director in New York City that would say, hey, Colin, if we cut you, we think you will bleed green. <laughs> So, but my fondest experience, I, I wouldn't be a seven-day Adventist today if it wasn't for the some of the stuff that I learned in Adventurers starting off and eventually Pathfinders. Um, growing up in Bethel Seventh-day Adventist Church in New York City, the Pathfinder Club was large, and the Adventurers had people who would volunteer, and we met every Sunday. 
every Sunday we had Pathfinders and Adventurers. We did everything as a group activity, and then we split. And Sister Logan was the director of Adventurers, and Brother Wilford Brown was the Pathfinder director, and there was a few other people. And I can't remember all of their names. But there's a saying that says, long after you forget what somebody did for you, how they made you feel will continue to live on. And so how they made me feel as a kid was they impressed on, upon me the importance of being Christ-like and doing the things I ought to do. So Pathfinders, Adventurers, I, I wanted to study the history of it. Adventurers is actually a new construct. It wasn't always around. You know, I, I grew up doing Adventurers, but we called it Adventurers, but it wasn't that long, right? 1975, it was only in Washington, D.C. and the Northeast. And then eventually, 1979, it became pre-AJY, and it wasn't until 1992 that the Adventurers Club became in full swing. And the mission behind the Adventurers Club was parents are the primary teachers. We shouldn't get away from that, right? Um, and I say it all the time when I take my kids to school, yeah, teachers just support what I do at home. Leadership. There was a development of leadership. And so, you know, if you come to one of our adventurous meetings, you'll see that we take the kids and we make them stand up publicly and read from the Bible and do other things so they are able to have a presence and eventually become leaders. Um, it was a high emphasis in using talent. So if they can sing, I remember being a little kid. So I started playing, my son asked me this this morning, he's like, Dad, how old were you when you started playing the saxophone? I remember playing the saxophone and it was almost the size of my body. <laughs> like reaching down and not being able to, barely being able to reach the notes. And that was cultured in a club, in a community like what we have today. And then ultimately, the, the most important thing that parents can do outside of a relationship with God is we teach our kids to think. If kids do not know how to think, when they run across new problems, they're not able to, to handle it. And experimentation um, is important. And then, of course, spiritual development, a, deeping, a deeper relationship with God, because this God will protect them. This God wants to develop them to their full potential. He wants to save them. And last but not least, you can't wear this without being conspicuous, right? You're well seen. And as we study about the altar, you'll know that the altar in Jesus's day or before was a conspicuous element that people were able to see from far. The importance of the altar, right? It was, the stone could not be carved when they started off, right? Later on, they were built altars, but they were just big stones with wood on top of it. And it caught blood and it was dirty, but it was this majestic event of fire coming down from heaven and consuming a sacrifice. And the spiritual attributes behind an altar is it commemorated a divine occurrence. Sometimes it was negative, right? So Job used to give, he used to do offerings for his kids regularly, 
But when something bad happened, he increased his frequency. It was to form a covenant. So when Abraham was promised the child in Genesis 12, he then went to the altar. It was communion with God, regular occurrences. It was to remember the covenant, the ultimate covenant that we can remember with God at the altar is that he will save us. So, you have other events, Noah uh, in the ark, at the end of the ark occurrence, Genesis 8.22, he commemorates the ark experience with an altar and sacrifice. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Luke. This is where the scripture reading was. It was Luke 2. And the other thing I had to manage, right? We're right on the cusp of Christmas time, right? So I had to incorporate Jesus' birth somehow. (laughs) So Luke 2, and right around 21. 22, we'll get there, son. Twenty-two, he was right. <laughs> now, when the days of her purification occurred to the law of Moses were complete, they brought him. Who's him? They brought Jesus, right? So all before this, right, we understand what's happening. It's the Jesus event is about to happen, right? So if you look at Luke 2, the decree came place. Um, they're moving back. They're going into, they're traveling into Syria, the governing body Syria, in order to go for the census. And Jesus is born, you know, we have the whole thing that happens. And now there's a period of time that happens. And what you see in 22 is, now the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were complete. And they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Unpack that a little bit. What the Bible is saying is, if a lady has a male child, they're taking that child now and they're presenting him to the Lord. What you don't get out of the book of Luke, because it's obvious to them, but it's not obvious to us, is that what you did was, when a child was born, you paid 20 denarii because that child belonged to who? To God. So you had to buy back the child in a ransom fashion. Then what happened was the altar. They would take the child and hold them over the altar and perform a blessing. Right, um, Ellen White says in her writings, when they went to present him, he said, it's a memorial that the Lord's wonderful deliverance to the children of Israel, it prefigured a greater deliverance. 
So it's pointing back to the Passover, which points to a greater deliverance. What is the greater deliverance? Jesus coming, right? As the blood sprinkled on the doorpost had saved the firstborn of Israel, so the blood of Christ has power to save the world. The priest went through the ceremony of his official work. He took the child in his arms and held it up before the altar. After handing it back to its mother, he inscribed, this is the normal activity for him, Jesus. He doesn't even see the power of the event. If you think about what we talked about, right, the altar commemorates what? A divine occurrence. Can you have more of a divine occurrence than God being squeezed into the body of mortal man? Can you get more divine than that? Or communion with God? So now here it is. Jesus is in his hands. Direct communion. And somehow or another, they've missed it. And then ultimately, the climax of the covenant of saving us, when the grace giver is here, they missed it. The priest didn't see through the veil. He didn't see the mystery beyond. Presenting kids before God was such a common occurrence that he just wrote it down and he kept it moving. Day after day. So if you think about it, right? The command to bring the firstborn, they were doing this ceremony religiously for over 2,000 years. Day in, day out, babies are coming in. God knows how many babies were named Jesus that they held over the altar that that way when they, they, they saw it, it wasn't a big deal. They took the money, they threw it in the, uh, the change drawer, they gave them the stamp and said, go. Obligation fulfilled. They punched the clock. When I sat down and I was putting together this sermon, one of the things that caught me was the end is near. We're seven day Adventists. Do we believe the end is near? We can't get Matthew 24 cannot be fulfilled anymore. Maybe it can be, but it looks like it's being very well fulfilled today. If you look at the, the, the landscape, of our country, it almost looks like we're about to be in a civil war and how much we can't get along. We're in a situation where atheism is the fastest growing religious system in the world. And what I say to you is, The more we do now, 
is the more it counts. Do you understand me? The more worship you have with your kids, the more value it has. The more you're able to reach out to the little ones in church, the more value it has. My wife and I was talking about it this morning. Anyone familiar with the concept of the 144,000, those who will not see death and they'll be translated? If we are truly in the last generation, potentially one of these kids, or maybe all of these kids, could be in that group that proclaims the gospel like never seen before. Do you understand that? See, when you sit down here and you, you look at them, they're coloring in the front and they're, they may be noisy and they're doing this and they're doing that, but this could be the final generation. And any amount of effort that you put in this group will pay unlimited dividends because the stakes are at its highest. Are you following me? Brenda kind of passively made an appeal this morning, but I'm gonna make a, a more strong appeal. See, we're busy. And I've once heard a pastor say, busy is burdened under Satan's yoke, right? But we could invest time, right? You go to the business world, they try to equate time to being something. Time is money. No, time is just time. And a little bit of time will pay unlimited results. So my appeal to you this morning is not that you're going to be part of adventurers because we can't have all you people here. It's a lot of you. But every single one of you have a skill set. There's people who are nurses and doctors, some people who have small hobbies. Crochet? Anybody crochets in the room? Knits? There's honors for that. You can teach pathfinders or adventurers that stuff, and it pays unlimited dividends because while they may never use that when they get older, they have connected with you and had an experience that makes church a much more palatable place. Are you following me? Some of you may have a little bit more time coming out and assisting, whether you have kids or not. You have kids, you should be here. But if you can't be here, some of you can make it because it feels like these kids need diverse opinions and people are helping them to develop. And then the last one, and I will tell you admittedly, I need to do better at this. Family worship. See, going back to the altar, how often did they visit 
the altar. Morning and evening. Do you know that? The idea of worship should be morning and evening came from the sanctuary service in the altar. They had communion with God. First thing, and then last thing. There's some great stuff that happens when you bookend your life with Jesus. And so the appeal this morning is all three of those categories, if you have time, you have a skill that you can teach or worship to strike home with everyone in the room. Yes? And I didn't eliminate myself from it, right? So don't stand up to stand up. If you think that you can invest time with these kids, and it doesn't have to be adventurous, it could be pathfinders, right? Adventurous may not be your thing because they may be a little bit small, but there's pathfinders, that's an older group. Raise your hand, please. Sister Champy, Dr. Champy. You know who Brenda is. See them afterwards. It's not a commitment for all your time but it's a commitment for some of your time. Who here wants to join me with doing something with the kids? I have this energy level all the time. You gotta ask the kids. Uh, I always have this energy level. <laughs> Assistance. Helping out some of these parents. See, church is about community. And I remember, I know it's different today, but I remember growing up in church, right? A little kid would run down the aisle and he'll get about two steps and some arms would just grab him like an octopus and pull him in. <laughs> and I miss those days. And part of that is relationship. If you spend time with kids and then you pull them in the aisle, parents ain't going to get upset because that's just sister so-and-so. She always takes care of Elisha and Joshua. That's brother and so-and-so. They always talk. They got a relationship with them. And so my second appeal, who's willing to assist some of the parents who are struggling with theirs? I know I am. And just for the parents, your family worship may be broken. And there's more that you can do. And you get what I'm saying, that family worship is probably the most important thing that you can do in this generation. And you want to do better. And you may not even be parents. You may be looking at yourself. You may go, look, you know what? I don't have any kids. But my family worship is terrible. When I have to, I, I don't open up my Bible. I'm a family of one. <laughs> and my family worship is terrible. Who wants to do better? 
Stand with me. Stand with me. Father in heaven, you see those who are standing. You understand that we want a deeper experience with you, but we don't know how to do it. We don't have the energy to do it, but we want to do it. Lord, we ask, you said that you will work in us to do your good pleasure. And we're asking, Lord, that you do just that. There I pray, Lord, give us no peace, no comfort, until we have a deeper relationship with you and we are ultimately saved when you come through those clouds. We want to be in that number. In Jesus' name, amen.